The Defense Department recently asked contractors and other interested parties for comments about climate, in particular climate-related disclosures like whether organizations measure their carbon output or post it publicly. Our next guest says disclosures should go up further than that. He's the former FEMA Administrator, now Chief Resilience Officer at One Concern, Craig Fugate. He spoke with Tom Temin. Let's begin with One Concern. It's an artificial intelligence company. Tell us what you're up to these days after FEMA. Well, it was an opportunity to answer a question I've had is, why do we have to wait till disasters to know how bad something can be? And a lot of our tools and how we model disasters looks at historical events. But if you just kind of stay tuned to all of the weather-related disasters, they're all record-setting, including the recent rainfall from Hurricane Ida up in the New England states in New York City. And most of the tools that we have used in disaster preparedness don't really capture how the risks are changing. And they don't always look at the dependencies or relationships between a point on the map and maybe the uh, function of that point on the map. EI, a fire station, isn't just a building, it's a service area. So even if the building's okay, but the roads are out, you can't get to where you need to go, you've lost a function at a fire station. So we're using the general term is machine learning, but really what it is, is it's this idea of looking at a lot of data, looking for patterns and running multiple scenarios that increase the severity of an event to find out what could happen so that we have better tools to plan against versus only looking backwards at the historical events. All right. Sounds like the kind of dashboard FEMA itself could use on a regular basis. Well, again, you know, FEMA, when I was there, we used a tool called Hazus. It does some of this, but it was really an opportunity when the company approached me that I wanted to go further. I, not only do I want to look at what could happen, I also want to go if we change the environment, if we do projects to reduce the risk, can we model that over scale and see what changes? So there's a lot of things that I'm attracted to in what we're doing, but probably the elevator speech is what could happen before it happens to give people better tools to plan for the future events. All right. And getting to this DOD call on, I guess, primarily contractors, but anyone can weigh in. It's a public comment that is now over a couple of weeks ago, but they were asking for disclosures about carbon output and so forth. What did you comment, if you could distill it for us, and what do you think should go further than simply companies telling, here's what I put out in carbon, and therefore I'm a polluter, or here's what I do to mitigate it? Well, we took a different approach. I think a lot of this was reporting about climate impacts going forward. I'm telling people the climate's already changed. We're seeing that right now. So not only should you be disclosing your carbon dioxide, other uh, greenhouse gas emitters, you should be disclosing your vulnerabilities to extreme weather and how that could affect DOD's mission. I mean, look in the various events that we've had, just an example with COVID, how it disrupted supply chains. And so for DOD, we thought just asking how much carbon or how many greenhouse gases, that's really looking at future climate. What can we do right now? And if we're already seeing impacts to DOD installations, how is it impacting the supply chain? And have the suppliers done enough to disclose those risks to DOD? Because the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, has always been focused on readiness. And that readiness does not have an asterisk that only when things are working can we defend the country. In other words, if I'm a supplier of XYZ spare parts and DOD needs them and a storm flattens my delivery distribution system and my transportation suppliers can't get through from where I am to where DOD is, 
that's a climate risk that DOD needs to know about. Right. And if you look at with Buy America, we have a lot of in-source you know, development, a lot of spendables and parts that are constantly being produced and distributed. And so the question is, how long can DOD have a shutdown? Remember what Hurricane Katrina did to the Pasigula shipyards and how that disrupted ship production. So these are things that we think from DOD standpoint, they need to be asking their suppliers, what's your plan, what's your vulnerabilities, and disclose that so they can make informed decisions about how those risks could affect the mission. We're speaking with Craig Fugate. He's chief resilience officer at One Concern and a former FEMA administrator. And how should companies go about assessing their climate risk? I mean, I, I see my facilities. I see my people. What do I do now with all of this information that's at least easily available? Well, that's just it. A lot of companies have said, well, we've never had a problem or we don't think it's a problem or it's not discoverable. And we're saying there's too much information out there. You need to do what most any business should be doing is hazard analysis. What are the things that can happen, particularly in the natural hazard space, weather extremes, and the one we're seeing a lot of is flooding. Also, long-term power outages. We saw what Ida did down in Louisiana. There's still places down there that have received power. What are your vulnerabilities to that? And what are you doing to mitigate that? And DOD needs to take this to the step of really going in and stress testing those answers. Just like the SEC and Treasury stress test banks, DOD needs to look at their supply chain and go, these are critical suppliers that we need to make sure that downtime is measured in hours or days, not weeks or months, or it could affect the mission. And if that's not the case, they're going to have to go back with those contractors and either look at what they can put into the contracts to bring that level up. That may cost more, but it's got to be something DOD drives on. You know, some things, longer term disruptions may be tolerable. Other things, short-term disruptions aren't tolerable. Where do we need to prioritize? And then look at geographically, have we distributed our production so that we're not in a single point of failure or a region of the country that could knock out a key supply chain? For many years, organizations that operated crucial data centers often would have a backup facility somewhere else. And even for a given facility, they might have two utility contracts if they were available in case one utility failed. It sounds like what you're saying is that type of thinking needs to extend to all of the operational aspects of a given concern. For example, do I need a second transportation supplier? Should the first one be out of whack or you name it? And DOD already does this. This is not going to be something new to DOD. Look at, we have two shipyards that produce and build the submarines. If we ever lost that capacity or went down to one, we could run the risk of not being able to produce submarines in the future. So DOD's already used to maintaining multiple supply chains for critical components. But when you start getting down the list and you start moving away from a lot of the big ticket items like aircraft and ships, that supply chain may not be as well understood. And again, just going back to our experience with COVID, we saw all kinds of disruptions that people didn't anticipate. And even though you had U.S. manufacturers, sometimes their supply chain for raw materials went all the way back across the globe. And that can be disrupted either through natural hazards that result in disasters or other conflicts that may disrupt those supply chains. And we've been talking primarily about the Defense Department, which is the one that did that call for comments. But in many ways, this applies across the government, doesn't it? Again, this was their specific request. And we just looked at it and said, we would recommend going beyond just looking at the greenhouse gases and look at how resilient are the supply chains in the era of climate impacts that are occurring now. 
Craig Fugate is Chief Resilience Officer at One Concern and a former administrator of FEMA. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive, and you can hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe on Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person 
in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but 
your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.